Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Before we get started with today's topic, which I will guarantee is going to be amazing, even though the title might be a deterrent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sounds like a little bit of a bummer. We're going to have to really try to sell people on this episode, I think. <laughs> uh, but before we get started on the episode, I wanted to say thank you to everybody who participated in our last Fifth Friday Fable Fest. Whoop, whoop. Last as in the one that we just did most recently. It's not <laughs> it going to be the, the last one. <laughs> no, we're going to do that till we die, even though no one likes them but us. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or until we run out of fables, which is still a really long way to go. Yeah. Which I think then we'll just like jump to another like yeah, another... collection of ancient like stories. We'll be like, oh. It's Panchatantra time. We're going to go through every single story in the Panchatantra. So I'm like, no, no, no. We've, we've got plenty of uh, Fable Fest in, in us ready to go. But yeah, thank you to everybody who participated in the Fifth Friday Fable Fest. And I also want to say thank you to anybody who donated or participated when we did the Nepal Youth Foundation stuff. Yeah, I was finding out that... We got donations, like people made donations, and I want to say thank you to whoever did that. Yeah. Because we like were... even went onto their website and put that they heard about the Nepal Youth Foundation from the Fairy Tellers podcast, which that felt so good. Yeah, it felt really good to find out that, you know, there are kids in an orphanage who, you know, got to have some food because... Somebody listened to the podcast and felt moved to donate, and that felt really good. Yeah, to be, so. to be even such a small part of helping someone's life be better is just great. So thank you for helping us by making that possible. Yeah. It was just like, oh, I'm glad that we have, like, a good community. You yeah. see different, like, communities on the Internet that are just, like, really good, helpful groups of people who just like doing good things. And so it it feels nice to know that that's Maybe the, maybe a community that we're starting yeah, to create. The fairy tale community and the community that likes to help people around the world have a lot of overlap and it feels good to be a part of that. Yeah. And I was really and with like smart and funny people because I had high hopes for the interactions that we would get just based on things that I've seen people re respond to on our Facebook page, but I was uh, very very happy with the response that we got on for the Fable Fest. Oh yeah. It's just the people's comments and their and the morals they came up with or the the thoughts that they had were really great. So I hope we get some more opportunity to interact with people out there. Yeah, that's perfect. Now on to our super awesome topic for today. Which I am actually excited about. Like reading through the stories and stuff and getting prepped. It was like as I was reading it, I wanted to message you. And be like, oh my gosh, this, this, this. And I was like, I'll just save it for the episode because I was getting really excited about the types of things we'll be able to talk about because of, you know, the content. Yeah. Which again, it does seem like, oh, that's going to be such a bummer. But I think there's a lot of really interesting places that we can go. So, Yeah, we've talked before on the podcast about how there are some things that are part of the human experience 
that are common to everybody and therefore there are stories that are similar and you know we've talked a lot about like marriage and those like partnership relationships uh that create family structure social structure all of that and now we're kind of going to a different part of the human experience some would say the opposite part of the human experience because we're going to be talking today about death and grief in folklore and fairy tales. So get ready for some laughs, people. <laughs> the first story that I'm going to tell, uh, it should it should get some laughter. I'm hoping it gets some laughter. It makes me laugh. Good. So a lot of people ask me, what's your favorite fairy tale? Which I'm like, that's a, that's a fair question to somebody who retells uh, and researches like fairy tales to ask like, what's your favorite fairy tale? I'm gonna let you finish, but mine is definitely the King who rides a tiger from Nepal. Just saying. <laughs> I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> so my favorite, it's called death in a nut. Hilarious. Which actually it took me a while to track down the story. I heard it for the first time about for like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And it has really stuck with me. I don't know whether it was the time in my life that I heard it that made it stick with me so much or just like how like true the story, like the message of the story felt for me. But it took yeah. me a long time to track it down again for this episode because I thought in the story... I thought that death got shoved into a shell. And so I was like, where's the story about death getting shoved into a shell? But he doesn't get shoved into a shell. And that's why I couldn't find it. Anyway, <laughs> It's a nut. And it's actually a Scottish story. And the version of the story that I found, it is in Duncan Williamson's book, A Thorn in the King's Foot. Why does that sound familiar? Have we talked about that before? No, we have not. Oh. I'll just have to do some thinking on my own as to why that's ringing bells in my head. Yeah, you're like, why this? But Duncan Williamson, he was a performer of Scottish folklore. And he actually died in 2007. And so, like, when I say that he's recent, I mean, like... Actually recent. Not like 100 years ago. (laughs) Like, we were alive at the same time as this man. Yes, yes. Like, he existed at the same time that you and I were, like, in the world and cognizant and yeah but he there are uh lots of folk tale books that he created and a thorn in the king's foot is one of them so maybe you had heard about him before or seen some yeah thing that he's done that's possible so before we get started in the story this is a jack tale and Mm-mm. of course we're gonna talk more about Jack Tales in another episode. I feel like I say that like every episode. <laughs> I'll like list a bunch of things and be like, those are topics in and of themselves, and we'll learn about them later. So, really quickly, uh, Jack, he's an archetypal character. It's just supposed to be an everyman mm-hmm. who like sometimes he's a trickster, but normally he's just like this lazy dude who just kind of goes through life he doesn't have any magical powers he's like not rich he's not he's just every he's just supposed to be a a kind of a stock character for an every every guy based on that description highly relatable to my experience (laughs) you're like lazy sometimes a trickster not rich yeah that's me 
But yeah, he's just like a stock character. And there's several different types. We've talked about this before. In different countries, they have like different names for yeah. just the common every guy, whether it's Hans or Ivan or whatever. So this is a story about Jack. So Jack once lived with his mother in a little two-room cottage by the seashore. And his mother kept some ducks and some hens. And they had a little garden patch that Jack would tend. And they just had a very simple life together. Jack's father had died before Jack was even born. That sucks. Yeah, it says he died long before Jack was born. I was like, well, not too long. (laughs) We've talked about this before, too. It's got to have been, you know, within about nine months of Jack being born. Yeah. I'm like, I can do some quick math and tell you, like, how much longer he died before Jack was born. But regardless, that's where Jack's father was. So it was just Jack and his mom living a small, simple life by the seashore. So Jack would spend most of his day like cutting a little hay to feed the goats, collecting eggs, taking them down to the village market to sell them, get some meat for the. So just a just a very simple life. Yeah. But another thing that he liked to do in his free time and on the side was he was a beachcomber. <laughs> so he would go up and down with this metal detector along the beach. Yes. <laughs> So he would go up and down the shoreline, just collecting whatever we could find. The story said old drums, any old cans, pieces of driftwood. It says anything that was flung off of a boat, which brings me to a very important topic that we have not discussed on the podcast yet. Mm. The legal maritime definitions of the words flotsam and jetsam. (gasps) Ooh, yeah. I was like, although I just thought it was interesting that in this story, they were very specific when they said, like, anything that had been flung off of a boat. So if you have heard the terms flotsam and jetsam. It's probably from Disney's. You've probably heard it. Little Mermaid. (laughs) From the Little Mermaid, the eels names. Or sometimes whenever somebody has just odds and ends of something, they say flotsam and jetsam. Yeah. But flotsam and jetsam are two different things. And it's important (laughs) to know the definition for maritime law. (laughs) So flotsam are things that are in the ocean that fell into the ocean by accident or by shipwreck. Jetsam are things that were jettisoned. That makes sense. From the ship on purpose. Yeah. So legally, if you find flotsam, the person who lost it or their family have legal ownership of that. So finders keepers does not apply to flotsam. Not to flotsam, no. So if there was a boat accident and then somebody's treasures went, you know, down into the shipwreck, if you find that stuff in the shipwreck and they can prove that it happened in the shipwreck, then it legally belongs to the family members of the person who owned it. Which that's kind of nice. But also as the person who found it kind of sucks. Yeah. I remember I just heard a story and maybe this is what it is about, but there was like a guy who found like millions of dollars worth of like gold coins from like a shipwreck that had happened. And I guess like he refused to give them up. So he went to jail and I was like, what? That's not fair. Cause he like found them finders keepers. But it was like, no, that was flotsam. It wasn't jetsam. Yeah. Jetsam is fair game. If somebody threw it off of the boat, if you threw it off on purpose. Exactly. Yeah. 
That, that makes sense logically. Yeah. So anything that got flung off the boat. So I just thought it was funny. This, I want you to know, it has absolutely nothing to do with the story. This is just like <laughs> a, great, a weird side piece of information. <laughs> that, I, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the story and the side information. And if you're not the same, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Let me yeah, tell you. I don't you. know why you guys are here. They're like, we came to hear a story about death. And I was like, no. Anyway, the legal terms were. <laughs> we need to get into maritime law. <laughs> This is a maritime law podcast. Animal husbandry, maritime law. Those are the real <laughs> subjects of this podcast. And we just use fairy tales as a way to connect them together. Yes, indeed. So yeah, this this story has absolutely nothing to do with any of that that I just told you. I just thought it was so funny that they specifically said that he would pick up anything that had been flung off of a boat. Right. So specifically, he was beachcombing for jetsam. Not flotsam. Anyway... So he would collect these things and he would bring them in and he'd just put them at the side of his mother's cottage. So they had kind of this collection of odds and ends on the side of the cottage. But but mostly what he was doing when he was walking up and down the beach was he was looking for firewood so that he could bring it back to his mom and they could have just enough fire to keep their little house warm on the side of the sea. So they lived this really help, happy, peaceful life. Yeah, and a cottage by the sea, that does sound pretty nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, just like, like this, like slow pace of living where he's like, yeah. okay, I'm going to gather some firewood. They have enough like eggs to do a little trading. Yeah. So when he was still a young man in his early teens, he dearly loved his mother. And this one particular day in winter, getting close to January, which we will get into that detail later. So in this particular day in winter getting near about January. Maybe I'll get into it now. It's like it has to be winter because it's about death. Exactly. And also the fact that they say it was getting near about January means that it was sometime in like late December. Yule. Which, yes. And Yule is the time when spirits walk among us. And in the traditional pagan calendar, <laughs> the, I'm not... The is like, I, this is something that I believe, but... <laughs> But I understand that all of you aren't with me on this, so let's just... <laughs> Which I only know about Yule because of our podcast, so... Yeah, because we talked in the Mother Holly episode about how people believed that, like, the, this is a time when, like, spirits from the other side could be visible and seen by Yeah, mere human mortals such as us. Mere, mere mortals. So one particular day, it was getting <laughs> near about January... <laughs> And when Jack got up in the morning, he would get up and he would make himself a cup of tea and then he would make his mother a cup of tea and he would bring it to her in bed because he was a, a wonderful yeah, son. Yeah, what a good boy. Yeah, I'm like, what wonderful child. I wish I were as good of a son as Jack is. Now we're now I'm starting to feel a little bit, you know, less than. <laughs> you're not as good of a, yeah, you're like, I thought he was supposed to be an everyman, yeah, but it turns real. out he's a better man than I am. Like forget to call his mom on Mother's Day. That's more my everyman. <laughs> So, Jack got up in the morning, he made himself a cup of tea, then he made his mom a cup of tea, and he went to bring it to her in bed. And that morning when he went into her room, she was like, I don't really want any tea right now. And he's uh -oh. like, why? What's wrong? Are you not feeling good? And she was like, son, I, I, don't, I don't feel good right now. I don't think I could even... Drink a cup of tea if you gave it to me right now. Jeez. And so he said, Mom, how about I just like hold it up to you and you just take a wee sip. <laughs> they use the word wee a whole lot, so I'm going to be using it a whole lot in this 
This is a story. So he's like, how about I hold it up for you and you just take a wee sip. And so she tried to sit up a little bit in bed and she took like one, two, three tiny little sips. And then she said, that's, that's enough. That's all I can take. I just, I really don't feel well. And he's like, what's, what's wrong? Are you, are you in pain or, and she's like, well, I don't know, Jack. It's just, I'm getting old. I'm not as young as I used to be and I'm not going to go on forever. And he's like, but Mom, you can't die. If you die, you'll leave me here by myself. What am I supposed to do? I don't have any friends. I don't have anybody in this world, Mom. It's just you, which I'm like, buddy, that's really sad if that's true. It's like, get a job, loser. <laughs> so he's like, please, like, you can't die and leave me. And she's like, well, Jack, I, I don't think that I'm very long for this world. And so I think you you need to kind of realize that. I think he'll be coming for me any day now. And Jack was like, who? Who's this? Who's, gonna, who's coming for you? And she's like, Jack, you know what I mean when I say he's coming for me. I, I think, I think it's getting close to the time that I'm going to die. Like that's how I'm kind of feeling right now. I can see it in my mind. And he was like, mom, no. She's so she was just trying to like tell her son, like, You're like Hey buddy, this is got to the reality. You got to get to terms with. Yeah. Like heads up. I'm getting older. It's probably about that time. And he was like, no, mom, no, that's not, that's, that, that's not going to happen at all. And she was like, oh, okay. I can see that you're having problems like dealing with it. So she, she was like, it's, it's okay. You'll be fine when I'm dead. It'll probably be easier for you to find like a wife and you'll start a home of your own. And he was like, preferred if you had met a nice girl and settled down before I died. But you know, don't feel guilty about it. Just because don't of me. Don't feel guilty. <laughs> It's like some passive-aggressive mom. So, you know, he's getting pretty upset. And she's like, you know what? How about how about you just go walk on the seashore? That'll make you feel better. And and I'm just going to stay home and rest. And he was like, okay. So he was really upset about what his mom said. He went to go do his kind of little beach coming thing to, to look for some more wood. And, and so he was just, you know, thinking some big, heavy thoughts. And the story said, and I loved this, like, visual where it was like, the sun had just begun to come up in the sky, and so there was still mist on the seashore. Oh. And so he's, like, walking along, like, the seashore, and he sees something, like, off in the mist. And so he's kind of, like, straining his eyes to see, like, what's coming up the beach, like, yeah. towards him. And he sees that it's this old man with this long gray beard and skinny legs and a raggedy coat on his back. And then he said as he got closer and the fog started to clear a little more, he could see that this man had two eyes that were sunken in his head. And his face just looked gaunt and ugly. So, and then as the guy got, as like the thing came through the mist even closer and there was even less mist and the sun was shining, Jack could see something shimmery glinting off of the man's back. And as he got closer, he could see that it was a brand new scythe. <gasps> And Jack was like, oh, my mom's told me about this guy. <laughs> like, this is death. This is what death looks like. So Jack said to himself, that is death. And I bet he's coming to get my mom. He's coming to take the thing that I love away from me. But he's not going to get away with it. <laughs> and so Jack kind of stepped off of the like seashore and kind of like made his way over to the guy so Jack kind of, you know, kind of slowed himself down, kind of rearranged, you know, how, so you can like bump into somebody uh, on yeah. accident on purpose where you like, like, oh, hey, what you doing out this way? 
<laughs> That's a risky so, move when the guy you're sneaking up on is death himself. Death, where you're like, hey, buddy. So, yeah, it said as he got closer, like even closer, he could see that, you know, death's bare feet and his high cheekbones. It said he had two front teeth sticking out, which I thought was hilarious detail. to imagine. But I'll be, like, able, I'll be able to recognize death a lot better when he comes now. Oh, yeah, because this is a very... This is a very intricate, like, description of this, like, very specific person. So, and the light was just, like, shining off of the scythe. And all Jack could think about was how death was going to, like, attack with with this. And so he goes up and he's like, good morning, old man. And death was like, oh, good morning, young man. Uh, Tell me, is there a cottage close to here that I'm getting close to? And Jack was like, oh, yes, my very own mother lives in the next cottage, just along the seashore. And Death was like, oh, thank you so much. I was actually on my way to go visit her. (laughs) Why would he tell him? And then Jack said, not this morning. (laughs) You're not going to visit her. I know who you are. You're Death. (laughs) And you're coming to take away my mom. And Death was like, whoa, 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 buddy. (laughs) Calm down. Chill out, man. Yeah, he's like. No, I'm like, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to kill your mom. I'm not coming to hurt your mom. I'm just going to go like help her out of her old body. Yeah. (laughs) And I do think that like, it was like a very important distinction that in a lot of folktales, people think death kills people. Yeah. But death doesn't kill anything. He just comes to collect things. Yeah. I saw something recently. He's a, fairy, he's a fairyman. Yeah. It may even have been like on our own Instagram page, but I saw something <laughs> that was talking about how like, uh, you know, it's like, he, it's a nice thing that he does. Like, otherwise, if he weren't there when you died, you'd just be dead and like alone going into death, like all by yourself. Like, it's nice that someone comes along to show you the way, you know, to the other side or whatever. Yeah. And, we're and all so like it's like. Casting shade, making fun of this guy because of his buck teeth and his shimmering scythe. <laughs> But he's like, so he was like, no, 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 no. Like, you misunderstand. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to like go and attack your mom and like get at her. I'm, I'm just going to go like collect her. She's suffering. The side is just symbolic, man. Don't you get it? Yeah. It's 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 a metaphor. It's a metaphor. That's why it looks so shiny. (laughs) I don't use it. (laughs) So, yeah, Jack, there's just, I mean, we'll talk about it later. The story has a lot of, like, misplaced anger. So Jack's like, I'm not going to let you take my mom. And he jumped forward and he grabbed the scythe off of Death's back. And he went over to a stone and smashed the scythe in half. And then he flipped it around and used the wood end to start beating the crab (laughs) out of Death. Dude. And so he's just whacking, whacking, whacking at death. And death is getting like smaller and smaller and smaller with like every single whack that he's doing. I'm just like, I hope nobody like on the beach walked by like at that moment. They're just like, (laughs) why is this kid? Why is this kid beating an old man to death? And why is that old man Benjamin buttoning? (laughs) So. He's just like whacking and whacking and whacking and death is getting smaller and smaller and smaller until death was barely the size of Jack's fingernail, which I'm like, how that's good aim. Yeah. Like if so, if your target's getting that small and you're still at it, I mean, good for him. But no, when he got to about the size of Jack's fingernail, Jack snatched him up in his hand 
And he's like, I've got you, and you're never going to get my mom. And so he starts searching along the shoreline for something to contain death, which I thought was funny that he he was like, he had thought to himself like, oh, well, hmm, I can't just throw him into my pile of stuff yeah. like on the side of my house because he'll be able to grow to like back to his original size. I have to trap him in something small yeah. so that he can't get bigger, which I'm like, I didn't know that that's how things... So, death is expandable. He's like a goldfish. He can only grow to, <laughs> to like the size of his container. <laughs> container. So, he looks around and he found a hazelnut. And in the story, it said that a, a squirrel had dug a little hole in the nut and eaten out all of the contents of the nut. But I don't think that squirrels do that. I think that they crack <laughs> them open. But regardless of what... <laughs> found the nut probably an insect or something there was a small hole in the nut and the nut had been cleaned out so it was hollowed out on the inside so jack took death and he shoved his head in first and he shoved his shoulders shoved him all the way up until his feet so death was all the way in this hazelnut and then he found a little piece of stick on the shore and he yeah. shoved it into the hole and he took the nut and he chucked it out into the sea <laughs> the end by death just kidding that's not the story so jack went ahead and he picked up the scythe and he walked him down the beach got a couple pieces of firewood for his mom and headed on home and when he started to get back close to the cottage he could see smoke coming from the chimney and he thought this is great that means my mother's up she must be feeling a wee bit better <laughs> i love saying a wee bit so he threw the pieces of the scythe into the pile of, of his beach finds, and he went inside. And when he walked inside, his mother was up. She had her sleeves rolled up. Her face was full of color. She had her apron on, and she was making some scones. Nice. And he was like, how are you feeling, Mom? And she's like, Jack, I'm feeling so good. I've never felt better in my life. I don't know what happened to me, but I was lying there feeling, like, in pain, feeling this, like like kind of like dread and I could just feel all of the pains of the years of my body on me. And As if death was going to come and knock on the door any moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I was feeling death drawing near. And then like that, it all went away. And, and now I'm feeling great. I feel <laughs> incredible. And so Jack thought for a minute, like, oh, should I tell my mom what I did? And he's like, no, <laughs> I won't tell her. Like I'll keep it to myself. So he's just feeling all good about himself. And he's like, Totally saved my mom's life. No big deal. Uh, that's just something I'm going to keep to myself. <laughs> and so he just kind of, you know, sat and watched as his mom, healthy and well, moved about the cottage, just getting stuff ready, cleaning stuff up. And then she came over to him and gave him some scones. And so he sat down. He was eating his scones. So he was feeling really good. And then he's feeling kind of worn out from the good beating that he just gave to death. <laughs> and he was like, you know, mom, I'm. I'm really hungry. I really could go for something else to eat, which I'm like, yeah, I bet you were exhausted. Because <laughs> it's quite a workout, you know? I wouldn't know. I've never beat a man to the size you've of a ne you've never, You've never like hulked out on adrenaline and then like beat somebody down into pieces. That wasn't, that's not something you've done. Not relatable. <laughs> so anyway, she was like, well, Jack, we, we don't have a whole lot to eat in the house. We just had, you know, enough flour and stuff for scones. But if you want, I can cook you up some eggs. 
So how about you go out to the hen house and grab us a couple of eggs and then I'll, you know, fix those up for you. You can have eggs with your scones and that should fill you up. Yeah. So Jack was like, all right, that sounds really great. So he walked out to the hen house next to the wee shed. (laughs) I love every time it says that I'm going to emphasize it. And he looked and in every nest, it was just full of eggs. He had hen's eggs, duck's eggs, all the nests were full. So he's like, oh, this will be good because I'll be able to go trade some stuff later up at the, um, in the village. So he picked out four of the big, brown, beautiful eggs, and he took them into his mom, and he's like, hey, I got four, two for you and two for me. And then she was like, awesome, Jack. This shouldn't take me very long. So she, you know, got her pan on the fire, and she put a lump of fat to cook. And this part of the story I don't fully understand. I don't understand. They say that the fat wouldn't melt. The fire was burning to heat, but the fat wouldn't melt. Yeah. Which I guess we'll discuss that later. But anyway, so she was like, I'm having problems. I I don't, there must be something wrong with the fire. Maybe the kindling's not good. I don't know why this fat isn't melting. And he was like, oh, mom, that's no problem. I don't need to have, you know, like fat with my eggs. Just cook the eggs the way they are. Trying to keep it lean, get a little protein. (laughs) Yeah. Get a little swole, you know. You know. So he's like, just cook up the eggs by themselves. It's totally fine. So she was like, okay, sure. And she like goes to crack an egg and it's just like, bang. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't, it wouldn't crack. So she was like hitting it again and again. It wouldn't crack. And she's like, Jack, I can't break these eggs. And he was like, oh, mom, I thought you said you were feeling better. (laughs) You must be so weak. From being such an old and infirm woman. Um, So he was like, it's okay, mom. I'll break the eggs for you. You've already had a busy day. Let me try and break these. So he took them in his big hands and again, just like, bang, and it would not crack. He's like, there's something wrong with these eggs, clearly. I'm going to go back outside and I'm going to grab us some other ones. So he went back outside, grabbed some more eggs. He came back in. And nope, they could not break them. They couldn't break the chicken eggs. They couldn't break the duck eggs. They were like, I don't know what to do. So the mom was like, maybe if we boil them, we'll be able to like cook them. Which I'm like, you couldn't get the shell. I don't know. Maybe once it was boiled, you could get the shell off. I don't know. Maybe. They don't know what's going on. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what their line of thinking was for that. But I mean, you might, it's worth a try. Um, So... She heated up the water until it was like bubbling and boiling, put the eggs in, nothing, no poached eggs, no boiled eggs. Like they, they just were not working. And she was like, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with these eggs. Something's wrong with our, our chickens and our ducks, obviously, because like these just won't cook. And she's like, okay, never mind that Jack, just go out to the garden and get some vegetables. I'll cook up a wee pot of soup. <laughs> so he went out into the garden and he like looked around trying to find like the best, you know, the most ripe stuff. Again, it's winter time and so things are getting a little scarce, so they can't be going crazy. Root vegetables are all they had in the garden at the time. No. I don't know how much gardening people do, but that's that's what you have in the winter time. You have root <laughs> vegetables. So he grabs some carrots, he grabs some leeks, a little bit of parsley for flavor, and he brought mm. those in for his mom. So she washed up the vegetables, 
fill the pot back up with some clean water, put it on the fire, and then she went to go cut the vegetables. And every time she went to chop a carrot, the knife just like glanced off of the the carrot. And she was like, what is going on? Which I'm like, that's not safe. I don't know how many of you have, you know, taken a knife safety course, <laughs> but like you don't want your knife slipping on stuff. No. You can cut yourself. It's not safe. <laughs> but Jack was like, maybe, and now I've frightened everybody because now I'm going to tell you that Jack was like, oh, the knife is probably blood, mom. I'll go sharpen it up. So he went out to like his, his pile of odds and ends on the side of the house and he took a sharpening stone that he had found on a different day of beachcombing <laughs> and he sharpened up the knife on this sharpening stone. He's like, no, this should be good. So he goes inside and he's like, okay, mom, I'll cut the vegetables. So he tried again, and it's a clang, clang, and knife slipping, not cutting anything. And his mom's like, are, are the vegetables frozen? <laughs> and I'm like, bless this woman. I mean, uh, it's winter, maybe. Yeah, and like, it's winter, so like, maybe. But yeah, it's like, if your vegetables are that tough... Like they're, they're you're not going to want to be eating them. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, if you're vegetable, if you're like, this is like a stone, you probably don't want to eat it. I wrote in my notes, even a beaver doesn't want petrified wood, which, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm like, that's an interesting little note you left there, Katrina. But it is, I'm like, what could have possibly happened to these? But yeah, in my head, I kept thinking that, you know, of like, oh, mineral deposits. Now you've got petrified vegetables, but no. So Jack was like, Mom, I, I don't I don't think there was a frost, so I don't think they're frozen, but I, I can't figure out what could possibly be wrong with them. And so she was like, well, okay, forget the vegetables. Jack, we have an awful cockerel out in our yard. Maybe you should go and grab him. We'll make a soup out of him. Which I know Jeff and I have this running joke on the podcast that we're always talking about farm animals. And this is a farm animal podcast. Specifically the genders of farm animals. Yes. So a cockerel is a young rooster. Here's what you need to know about male animals on family farms. They're almost entirely unnecessary. They're Just good like for males in real human <laughs> life. This is also a feminist podcast. Yeah. Which is not Ma a joke. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't this podcast. But yeah, male male animals on a family farm, they're only good for two things. It's making more animals or eating. So when I think about eating a chicken, I also think of it as being like a female chicken that I'm eating. But do we eat male chickens as well? Like now? Like if the chicken in my freezer, is that possibly a male chicken? So yeah, you can eat and we do eat male and female chickens. But when you have a family farm, usually the, the chickens that you keep around are, you keep the hens. Egg-laying hens. And egg-laying hens. So that they you can want reproduce. To keep, yeah, you want to keep a couple rooster yeah. so that when you need more yeah. hens, you, you have, have something some. to make more hens. Yeah. Um, but if Jack's mom is saying, like, there's a cockerel out there who has been awful this year. Just go grab him. Basically, what she's saying is like, he's too much of a nuisance to keep. If you are a young male animal on a farm and you are being more trouble than your work. Yeah, you better tread lightly or you're going to end up on the plate. Because it's the same for like dairy, dairy farming. Yeah. 
to get a cow to produce milk, they have to have a baby. But if they have a boy baby, you kill it and eat it as veal because the boys, once they get to like a certain age, like the girls are worth raising because they will eventually turn into another dairy cow. But the boys, they drink a bunch of their mom's milk, basically wasting your time. Yeah. And then when they get... They require a lot of food to They feed. require a lot of full food, yeah. When they get full size, okay, now you're taking care of this full size, size bull. So unless you were planning on using that bull to make more... But you usually only need one or two, like, men yeah. to get the job done of making babies. And so men become really, like, strenuous, and so you just eat them. So anyway, there's a cockerel outside. He had not been behaving. And so his, like, Jack's mother was like, it's time for this guy to go. And now's as good a time as any since our eggs won't crack and our vegetables are frozen. Do you know it's not frozen? That cockerel outside. Jack, how about you go grab him? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. How does it always get back to Lord of the Rings? Because uh, I'm a nerd. So Jack went out to the chicken coop to look for this troublemaker that says, like... Jack looked around and he saw who he was looking for. So Jack just reached up and grabbed that big fat cockerel sitting right on the porch. And he like pulled him down and he was like, oh, you will go nicely for dinner. And he went to wring his neck. Nothing. He twisted it again. Nothing. And it said, (laughs) he would like, he pulled it. He shook it. And I was like, Bop it. Punch <laughs> Twist it. it. <laughs> Twist it. Pull it. So <laughs> he swung it around his head three, four, five times, just trying to snap this chicken's neck. And it wouldn't snap. He said he took a stick and he was beating it on the head. And the whole time I'm imagining this, I'm like, what was that chicken do? Like, what was that cockerel doing? <laughs> How was it reacting to this? Yeah, like, was it screaming? Or was it just like, yeah. I get this a lot. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, I just, I'm like, what is going, because I'm like, they're just describing violence to this animal. And it gets excessive because normally it is like, crack, One it's done. done. But no matter what he did, not like this chicken was not dying. And he was like, I don't know what's wrong. So he stuck it below his arm, which I'm like, that's, what was that? Seriously, what was that bird doing? That bird, like, he's like, it's fine. Because nowhere does it say that the animal started struggling or trying to, like, flap away from him or anything. So he just shoves it, you know, under his arm and he goes into the house. And she's like, oh, do you have the cockerel for me, Jack? And he's like, oh, mother, I have the cockerel, but I can't do it. I can't kill him. And she was like, what do you mean, Jack? You've killed lots of them before. As if he had some attachment. As if it's like his emotions. He's like, I've suddenly decided to become vegan, mother. Yeah, he just like no eggs, <laughs> no chicken, no meat, and apparently no vegetables. She's just like, "What? What do you mean? Like you can't kill? I've seen you kill dozens of like uh, chickens before. What's the problem?" And he's like, "No, mom, I can't kill it. Like it, it won't die." And she was like, "Oh man, this is getting ridiculous. Give it to me." So she grabs the <laughs> cockerel, she slaps it down onto the cutting board, and grabs a hatchet and just wham down on its neck and its head severs from its body and then whoop it just goes right back on (laughs) and she was like what in the world 
And it said, the cock rule was fine. And I'm like, yeah, but probably traumatized, right? Like, Jeez. So then it said, it, she hit it with the hatchet 17 times, but every time it just went right back on. I'm like, 17? Holy crap, lady. She just, wham, wham. And, but nope, it just hop, kept hopping back on. And she's like, there is something wrong, Jack. Which I'm like, yeah, you think? You and your zombie chicken. So she's like, okay, Jack, there's something going wrong in our house. We're cursed or something. I don't know what it is. Here's some money. Take this half crown that I have and go to the butcher and ask him to bring us back some meat. And Jack was like, okay, I definitely will. So, you know, he's feeling shook, but he heads over to the village that was about a quarter of a mile away. And when he got there, he saw that everybody was standing around kind of the middle of the town square like all talking really intensely to each other. And he's like, oh, I don't know what that's about. But as he's walking past, he heard somebody say, I've been spraying my garden and that I cannot kill these bugs. These bugs are coming from like everywhere and I can't kill them. They're eating up my garden. Like, I don't know like what's going on. And the butcher was like, three times I tried to kill a bull this morning. And every time I killed it, it just jumped right back onto its feet. Like something is wrong. I had a cage full of hens and ducks and I was trying to kill them. I, and I, I couldn't do it. I don't know like what's going on. So Jack went over to the butcher, apparently not hearing what the butcher had been saying. Cause his first question was, hi, I've come to buy a wee bit of meat for my mother. And the butcher's like, buddy, no, did you not just hear? There's no meat in my shop. I have not been able to kill anything. There's no fresh meat because I can't kill anything. I don't know what's going on. And Jack was like, well, but what about the village the next one over? And he's like, no, I just heard from them. They can't kill anything either. Nobody from two miles out has been able to kill anything. Like all day, there's no fresh anything for anybody. Jack was like, oh, man. Oh, no. And he just started to think, this might be related to what <laughs> happened this morning on the beach. Which I'm like, I don't understand how he didn't realize that sooner. He, like, smacked death and chucked him into a shell and then went home and was like, this is a weird day. I couldn't <laughs> kill this chicken. Like, do you think maybe the two things are related or you were just having a really bizarre day? Yeah. Anyway. So Jack was like, okay, I need to head home. So he starts heading home and the whole time he's just thinking to himself, like, like I somehow I think that this all is my fault. This might maybe be related <laughs> to what happened this morning at the beach. So he gets back to his mom's house and he was like, mom, there is no meat at the butcher for anybody. And she's like, why? What are you talking about? He's like, look, the butcher couldn't kill any beef. Same reason we couldn't kill the chickens. Nothing is dying. And she's like, oh my gosh, Jack, what is wrong with the world? Everything is like all out of order. This is like horrible. And he's like, mom, I think this might be my fault. And she was like, how could this possibly be your fault, Jack? <laughs> like, Jack, you don't control anything. Like, why would this be your fault? You still <laughs> like, live at home with your mother. Yeah, You still live at home with your mother. What have you accomplished in your life, Jack? I like how we're really, like, really digging on, on anybody Jack. who, yeah, we're ragging on anybody who lives with their mother. I would love to live with my mother, to be honest. I know you would. She was, like, just at your house. Yeah. I'd bring her tea in the morning. Tea in bed. I'm like, is that true, Jeff? As long as I don't have to pay rent. <laughs> oh, 
awesome. So she's like, how is this your fault, Jack? And he's like, okay, so mom, this morning when you weren't feeling well, I went walking on the beach gathering sticks, but I met death and then I took his scythe and I broke it and then I whacked him with it and then I shoved him to a nut and I plugged up the hole and then I checked it out into the sea. And so I think that this might have something to do with that (laughs) thing that I did. And then he said, and I think this is sweet, and he's like, he's like, the whole world's kind of out of control because nothing can die, Mom. But I've decided I would rather feel like I'm dying of starvation than lose you. Oh. And she was like, Jack, no. <laughs> don't don't you know what you did? You've destroyed the only thing that keeps the world alive. And she was and he was like, What do you mean, Mom? What do you mean like the only thing that keeps the world alive. Death is the only thing that keeps the world alive? Yeah, and she's like, death is what keeps the world alive. This constant fluctuating of life and death and the only thing that keeps us continuing on is the fact that other things can die. And he's like, but I don't know how I can fix that. And she's like, well, you're gonna need to fix it. (laughs) (laughs) How about you go outside? So (laughs) he was like, how am I gonna fix this, Mom? And she's like, well, the first step is you need to go outside and you need to fix that scythe. And then you need to go up and down the beach looking for that nut. So you better get started right now. So he's like, okay. Which I love that she's like, it's punishment time. (laughs) It's like you're going to get death out of that nut and then you're going to apologize. going to apologize for what you did. (laughs) But he was like, mom, but if I do that, if I find death and I take him out of the nut, he's going to come for you. And she's like, Jack, if he comes for me, I'll be happy to go into the next world and I'll be at peace. You'll still be alive and so will the rest of the world. And he was like, but mom, I can't live without you. And she was like, Jack, if you don't set him free, I swear to no. <laughs> but she's like, Jack, if you don't let him free, the whole earth is going to suffer. I don't want to watch you suffer because I'm your mom and I love you. So I am telling you that you need to do the right thing. So Jack went outside and he thought for a while and then he decided that he should probably listen to his mom. So he went and he picked up the broken pieces of the scythe and he got to work putting them back together. I don't know if he had a blacksmith forge or what, (laughs) but he had to get that blade back on and sharpened and put everything back together. And then he started walking up and down. And then a a slightly younger kid than him saw him and thought he was death coming from his mom. And he took the scythe and beat Jack to death with it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best. So... Jack had a big glass of water because that's all there was because he couldn't (laughs) cook anything. Put a little salt in it maybe just for flavor. So he had a big old glass of water and then he went walking up and down that beach searching and he walked for miles and miles and miles day in and day out for three days and for three days more searching for this nut until he was completely exhausted and he couldn't go anymore and he sat down on the shoreline in front of his mother's house And he hung his head down and he said, what have I done? I've ruined the world. I've destroyed the whole world. They didn't know death is such a good person. I didn't know death was such a good person. I was so wrong to beat him 
and put him inside of that nut. And he hung his head down low. (laughs) It took all that to realize it was not good to beat someone and put him inside of a nut. (laughs) I love that. Like at the beginning, like death tried to explain to him that he's like, no, I'm not the bad guy here. And he's like, no. And just now he's kind of sitting there going, he's like sitting there. He's like, maybe death wasn't the bad guy. (laughs) Like death was like, I told you. So he said that and he hung his head down. And there, right at his feet, was the little nut with a stick sticking out of it. And he lifted it up, and he cracked it open, and a wee little head popped out. (laughs) (laughs) So Jack held him in his hands, and Death said, Now, Jack, are you happy? Did you get what you wanted from that? And Jack was like, No, I'm not happy. I was wrong. My mom told me how wrong I was. And death was like, you thought if you beat me and conquered me and hid me away because I'm death, that it would all be over. But that's not what happened, was it, Jack? And he was like, no, no, that's not what happened. And death was like, without me, there is no life. And Jack was like, I understand that now. I'm sorry. So he helped death get all the way out of the hazelnut. And then once he was out of the hazelnut, he expanded to size. (laughs) Which I'm like, that's so bizarre that death is a goldfish. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So death expanded back to his old size and strength again. And he stood there before Jack and he said, one more thing, Jack, you have my broken scythe. And Jack was like, okay, actually, Before I went searching for you, my mom made me fix it. And I have it right here at the house for you. Come with me. So Jack led Death back to his house. And they sat down on the front porch. And Jack handed him the scythe. And it was all mended and gleaming in the sunlight. And so Death was just running his hands on it. And he was like, all right, I see you've sharpened it up, Jack. You made it look nice again. I need to be on my business. I've got people I've got to see in the village. But Jack, I'm going to leave your mom today, but I need you to know I'm going to come back for her someday. And Jack was like, I understand. That makes sense. (laughs) So the story ends that Jack and his mother lived happily until his mother was about 100 years old. And then one day death came back for her and he took Jack's old mother away. And Jack never saw death come for her, but he was happy when he saw she was gone because he remembered that there is no life without death. Oh, the end. That this is making a run for my new favorite. Honestly, <laughs> it's got it all. It's got the laughs. It's got action. It's got a really good, you know, like satisfying ending. It does. Cause it's like, I love, I love that death is like, okay, your mom has taught you a lot of good lessons. <laughs> so I'm going to like back off now. Yeah. And it's cool to see death, like, you know, he is like, death is like a reasonable, rational, like, hey, man, here, I'm just trying to, trying to explain the stuff to him and everything. And he's like, patient with him, lets him basically learn his lesson on his own. And when he gets out of the shell, he doesn't like, you know, be like, I'm going to take you down because I can collect you for death or whatever. He says like, okay, did you learn your lesson? You see what happens here? I like that. It's like death is very like pastoral. In this story where he's like coming to him and he's just like ministering to him of like, like, hey, yes, I'm coming to see your mom. But I want you to remember, I like 
I'm not the bad guy. This is kind of like the way of things. Like, I, I'm just coming to collect her. And yeah. Jack's like, I'm not ready to dialogue with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the reasons why this story stuck out to me so much at the time that, like, it came to me was uh, my sister, like, a couple of years ago, introduced me to the Ask a Mortician YouTube Yeah, I love channel. that YouTube channel. And uh, Caitlin Dowdy is the the mortician of Ask a Mortician. And so I've read several of her books and really enjoyed them and enjoyed the like death positive, like community that she's building because it is like understanding that people die and that's part of life. It's a really difficult concept for people to be comfortable grasping Yeah, because I mean, no one wants to be in pain. No one wants to feel grief. Yeah. And yet if we don't accept that that is going to be a part of life, then we kind of like stunt ourselves. Yeah. And it is an interesting thing in our like modern society that I know she talks about a lot too. Is like, we're just so separated from death, like in all aspects, like we talked about before, you know, Jack had killed tons of cockerels before. Cause that's how life was. Like when you wanted meat, you killed your food and butchered it and ate it. Or yeah. you, you know, saw the animal parts that were butchered or whatever. You know, like when your loved ones died, they died in your in their beds at home. You know, whereas like here, it's like we, we buy meat from a store. When our loved ones die, it's in a hospital. When we see their bodies, it's, you know, like after they've passed on. It's like in a very kind of interesting, weird kind of situation. You know, I, I don't know. It's just. Yeah. No, because, I mean, also, there's, like, the embalming, the makeup, the, like, you have people put, like, makeup and product onto and into a dead person to make them seem almost Less alive. Dead, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, they're just sleeping. And then, also, we've moved away from coffins, and now we have caskets. If people yeah. don't know the difference between those two words, a coffin is the one that is shaped more like a human being because it's like you would imagine Dracula coming out of. Yeah, because it, it has, has like the, the the top end that goes out a little more, like around where the shoulders shoulders would be. are. Yeah, and then a casket is just a rectangle, and so one of them looks more like oh, there's a body that's in that, as opposed to oh, that's a box. Yeah. And even like that subtle thing is to kind of hide the fact that there is a dead person inside of the coffin. Yeah. Or inside of the casket. Because if they're inside of the coffin, you can tell. (laughs) My brain still wants to use them interchangeably, even though I know intellectually (laughs) that that's... Because most people do. I mean, I probably use it interchangeably. It's interesting too, though, because like, even though that may have been the origin it's kind of like when you see a casket nowadays you would only associate that as being like there is a it's a very specific thing related to death whereas like i imagine oh you move away from a coffin to a casket a casket may have looked did i say that right see i'm messing it up probably but it's like a it's like a literal box like a pine box or whatever you think of like in like old western movies where it's just rectangular on all sides whereas a casket nowadays it's like you see that and you know that there's a dead person inside yeah but it's not it, it's not shaped like their body, so it is still like a level yeah. of abstraction. Even to to the point 
like our minds go there even now because it's like once you get used to something, your mind, yeah, it just gets used to it. To the yeah. point where when my daughter was in the um, the NICU, the uh, newborn intensive care unit, I think that's yeah. what NICU stands for. It's a, like neonatal, but it may, oh, yeah, means the newborn. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the neonatal. It's just Latin for newborn. Yes. So, yeah, she was in the NICU, and it was this, like, hallway – almost of incubators and you had curtains in between them uh, in between the like incubators. But something that they did, at least in the NICU, my daughter was in is that they would lay blankets on top of the um, each one of the incubators. And so you would bring in a blanket for your child, which it was a funny Mm -hmm. aside. I brought in a blue blanket for my daughter because my sister had made it for her. Yeah. And it was a blue blanket with silver stars on it. And uh-huh. so I, I put it on top and the nurses were like, oh, that blanket's blue. And I was like, yes. And they were like, but it's a girl. And I was like, I don't understand the point of this exercise. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you didn't get it. They're like, oh, but it's not a boy. Like blue yeah. for a boy. And, well, it was funny because they were like, well, but anybody who walks by might think that it's a boy. And I was like, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> I know she's a girl. Yeah, I know when I, like anybody who goes to change her diaper, like her nurse, if her nurse went to change her diaper, they would sort that out pretty quickly. Um, But anyway, to me, the blankets on top of all of them, they hid what was underneath, which was an incubator, but the shape of it reminded me of a coffin. Yeah. And I hated hated it because I walk into this room and it was just this hallway of what looked like tiny coffins to me. Oh, gosh. And so it just, it freaked me out. I didn't like, because it looked like, you know, when somebody drapes a blanket or a flag over a casket, a casket. Yeah. That's interesting. So I was like, oh, this, it creeps me out. While we're on caskets, have you seen the, the show, The Casketeers? I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. Yes. They're it's awesome. in New Zealand, yes. In New Zealand, and yeah. they specialize on like Maori, uh, like burial ceremonies. Yeah. And, spe- and not just Maori, they do like Tongans and lots of uh, Pacific Islanders because the, the people that own it are Maori. Yeah. But that that show is so great because it's so funny because it focuses on like the characters of the people that work in this place. But it also is like really touching in the same way that Ask a Mortician stuff is both funny and really touching because just like kind of the care that they show to these bodies, like when they're dressing them and doing stuff and they like to get the family involved. So they're there touching the bodies and being with the bodies of their loved ones. And they talk to them like they were alive saying like, Oh, here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to make you look so nice. And it's just like, it does. I don't know. It's just a really, like you said, it's kind of that death positive thing. We, we think of death so negatively and you know, it's part of like the grieving process. Like, yeah, the people go in and then they're crying like crazy because they're seeing their loved one that's dead, but they can take that grief and kind of experience it in a way that is, also like joyful which is a thing that we don't really think about but it's like if you can do that why would you not want to do that you know like why would you run from that and be afraid of that which I mean I still am like the idea of like going in and like dressing one of my loved ones like their body or something like still really freaks me out but it's a place that I want to get to yeah and like if it happened I would go and do it because I feel like that is really important to have that special moment of bonding, like with my family, that it's something that we miss so much and why death is such an abstract concept to us. And I think it has a lot of negative repercussions just in our society. Like we don't think about the implications of death of other people 
in the same way as we would if we were literally seeing it around us all the time in positive and negative ways, I think. But I mean, I think right now is a good example with a pandemic. Like there are people dying of this disease, but it's such an abstract thing. It's just numbers on a chart that we see. Is it going up? Is it going down? We don't think about the people that are attached to them. Yeah. Unless they're one of our loved ones, you know? Yeah. And that's what like, uh, a month ago, my dad messaged me and told me that my aunt was, uh, had been admitted into the hospital and she had COVID. And I knew that she was in the demographic of people that, I had many, many risk factors. Yeah. And so to me, when I was looking at the, like the, the positive numbers from their state, I knew looking at that number, how many of those positives were members of my family and which one of those numbers, you know, was my aunt specifically. Yeah. <laughs> and I suddenly became very aware of how easily she could move her number, you know, could move yeah. into that number of deaths in the next column over and it's been a month and she's off the ventilator. Oh wow. And she is being moved into a physical therapy like rehab center um, so that she can regain muscles mostly. And I have a friend who's a speech pathologist and she told me, don't be scared when your aunt can't speak or has problems speaking, it's not necessarily a mental problem. It's the muscles in her throat from being on the ventilator for so long. Haven't had any exercise. And so she's, I was glad she told me that because then I could tell my family, like, don't freak out when our aunt comes to and she can't talk. Um, But yeah, it suddenly, when I had somebody, yeah, when I knew somebody with it who was in there and like many family members who had got it, yeah, the numbers suddenly weren't abstract anymore. They were real. And so I like what you were saying of when we think of death in the abstract, that is one thing, but then when we see it anymore, obviously, it's it's becomes real and it feels like a whole different thing. And so you might have thought that you understood death until it was right there with you and then you experience yeah. in a different way. And it is interesting too about how different cultures experience it when we were doing this stuff i thought about um the show dark tourist which has an episode where they go to asia and they go specifically in this one part of the episode they go to indonesia where this group of people a very specific group of people in indonesia not like the whole country but they have this kind of burial rites where they say when someone has died for a while they're not dead they're just sleeping and they bury them and they put them in coffins and they do or caskets or one or the other sometimes they just wrap them up in like sheets and the and the stuff that they bury them in is you know a very big indicator of their wealth but they do make a big deal about putting them in here and have kind of like a party and like a feast and all sorts of stuff but then like every year they actually like exhume the body clean it up put new clothes on it it stays with them in their house for a certain period of time and it's just like their relationship to to death and the dead is so different and then after a certain amount of time and it's different for for different people, I guess it's kind of part of the grieving process, really, when the family decides, okay, this person's no longer sleeping, they're actually dead, then they, I guess, I may be saying this incorrectly, I know um, it was in that book as well, but they kind of put them away and they don't take them out anymore, from my understanding. And it's just, again, it sounds kind of scary from like this perspective, but when you can see it happening, like in that show, or when you read about it in, or read about it in Caitlin Dowdy's book, 
you know, you can see the beauty in it, which I think is, is really cool. The book that you're referencing, I, I didn't name it earlier. That one specifically, it's From Here to Eternity, Traveling the World to Find the Good Death. She's written a couple books, but that one's the one where she mentions Indonesians. The, the first time I was exposed to that concept, I think it was in like a National Geographic. And it was very much like, like, look at these images of these people, like hold, like holding their dead relatives who've been dead for yeah. like decades or whatever. And it starts with first, like morbid curiosity, like, oh, what is that? Yeah, like, oh, why would they do that? But then when both in Caitlin Dowdy's book, when she was explaining about it, and then in Dark Taurus, they talk about how that sleeping stage, it's just like another stage of life. And so yeah. it's like, you're born, you're welcomed into a family, you grow up, you get married, you have kids of your own, you go into old age. And then after old age is this like period of like sleep where you're still among your family, but, and they're, and they're caring for you and taking like good care of you and doing what they need to do. And they still are talking to you and making sure your body is like clean and comfortable and then, yeah, I think it's after a period of like a year or two years, something like that. They're like, okay, now it's time to like bury you. But then they do keep revisiting their relatives. And I yeah. love that idea of like when someone is dead, they're like, it's just another stage of your life. And it gives them a time to mourn for that person and to come to grips with the fact that like this person isn't here in the same way that they used to be here. I can yeah. still see them, but you know, they can't talk to me or tell me stories or anything, but I still honor them. I still love them. They're still a part of my life. Yeah. And I love that because in other cultures, I think Western cultures, we try to handle it as quickly as possible. Where we're like, okay, they're dead. Let's, like cremate them and then be done and yeah, like be done. Just have a nice little place for them. And like, like rushing that transition over. Yeah. Which and no wonder it's so traumatic to us too. Like when we do it so quickly. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not gentle at all. Yeah. We're like someone's here and then they're gone. It's like, that's an abrupt thing to get any sudden change is really hard to get used to. Yeah. So it would be nice if there was like an in-between stage. And it's kind of interesting going back to the story. It's different, but like, Jack, I think, took Death up to his cottage, gave him the scythe, and expected and thought, okay, he's going to go in and he's going to go take my mom. Like, he's come to terms with the fact that his mom is going to die. Yeah. And then now he got this in-between stage where he knew his mom was going to die, and he got to spend that time with her still and enjoy that time knowing that she was dead, you know, in the the long run. And... And then it finally, you know, when it finally came to transition her into her actual death, he was totally ready for it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. He goes through several of the stages of grief in the story. Where, like, at first when his mom's talking to him, being like, I'm old, I'm probably dying. He was like, total denial. He's like, no, you're not, mom. It would be horrible if you died. I don't want to accept what you are telling me. I'm not going to listen to you. How about you just rest? I'm going to leave. And then <laughs> he when he's death on the beach, definitely anger. That was anger. Yeah, that was the <laughs> anger stage of uh, his stages of grief. And I mean, he didn't even try to bargain. He skipped right over that. He forced a bargain right on him. He's like, 
Here's what we're going to do. I hit you, you hit the ground, you go in a nut, and I throw you in the sea. That's the only deal I'm accept- like accepting right now. Um, but yeah, then he did, he did get to that acceptance part where he was like, okay, I can see why this is necessary, why death is so necessary for life. And then, like, I think about how meaningful his time, the rest of his time with his mom was. Because when he was aware that his mom's life had a finite amount, he probably made sure to make moments with his mom count. Yeah, that's a really good, that's really, really good. That's the thing I want people and for myself to get out of this episode. Yeah, is to make it count. Make it count. And that's something that I think of, like, when you can understand and accept death is when you can really appreciate life. Like, if you live your life thinking, oh, like, my parents are always going to be around. So you take the time that you have with them for granted more than if you understand what could happen. And it's like, I'm at a point in my life where I'm, like, coming to terms with my own mortality. You know, I'm in, like, my 30s coming on mid-30s. And, like, since hitting 30, I've had, like, a change of being, like, oh, my gosh. Like, where has my life gone? And my parents are still young. They're still healthy. Yeah. But that part of me is hitting, like, like, I can see that at some point my parents are going to die and I'm not ready for that. So it is helpful to be, like, okay, you know what? Like, I need to come to terms with that as fast as I can so that I can really appreciate and accept and like cherish the the time that I do have left them. Cause there is quite a bit left, yeah. but I want to make the most of it that, that I can, you know? Yeah. And it is like also realizing that we don't know how much time we have left is like yeah. another like big thing. Because if you move through your life thinking, Oh, I've got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time. Like you're not honoring the time that you have right now. Yeah. Um, because you're thinking of all of that time, like in front of you, instead of just like realizing the specialness of like right now. Yeah. That's one of the things that's really interesting. And it's something that I've been trying to do, like with my life within a lot of ways, like with money and like finances, like trying to find this middle ground of like, I could work super, super, super hard, save, you know, 90% of my income and then retire in 10 years. But then I'm sacrificing the life that I have in those 10 years for this time in the future. And if I get hit by a bus nine years into this, I would have spent the last nine years of my life like in misery waiting for something that was never going to come, like a payoff that's never going to come. So it's like finding that line of preparing for the future, but also living in the now. Like you can't just be like, I'm going to blow all my money on anything that I want right now. But you do need to find ways to like spend money in a way that's going to make your life enjoyable. Enjoy the time that you have, but still put away stuff so that you can save up for later. And it's the same thing with like time. Like I can't do everything that I want right now. Sometimes I have to do things I don't want to do. Yeah, I have to devote my time to things that are like I think are boring or dumb or unnecessary. But I need to also be able to devote time to the things that I do want to do and not put it off in either way. It's like so much is about that balance between life and death because like a lot of the times when people are when they hear about that concept of like trying to live like today is the last day of your life or whatever what they do is they go to this extreme where they're like oh yeah like live crazy every single day and like live it up do everything on my bucket list live in this totally like hedonistic way yeah when really what that means is 
every day be consciously aware that this could be your last day. So before you go ahead and say something really mean to like your friend. Yeah. Think, okay, if I got in a car accident later, is this what I want? Because, like, I love that my husband, even if we're, like, grumpy with each other, right before he leaves the house, he's always like, I love you. And yeah. I'm like, I love you, too. Because he's like, I don't know. What if I yeah. leave this house as the last time? I don't want the last thing that I said to you to be, I hope when I get home that that dishwasher is running because, you know, like, <laughs> my husband never talks to me like that. I'm more likely to talk to my husband like that. Uh, yeah, just, just totally so right. people know. <laughs> and it's one of those things that it's like, you know, it's, an, it's a good reminder, like, to take it to the extreme of, like, death or whatever. But it's also, it's just going to make your living, even if you don't die on your way to work it's going to make your life better to be living every single day if you're living like that with that mindset of no matter what happens like i need to remember for myself and make my family my wife whoever know that i love them and i care about them yeah like if you're thinking about that all the time you're going to have such a better time of life than if you're not yeah in my opinion there is this buddhist concept that i remember learning about called meditating on the corpse And that's, it's kind of like, it's kind of extreme, but it's like sitting down and thinking about your own body decaying and falling apart and like being returned like into the ground. And the point of the exercise is for you to be able to like feel your own mortality. Yeah. And to remember how like connected you are to the world and how the parts of you will go on. Even if like you, your soul part of you like isn't in that anymore. And also so that when you go through your day, you remember like when it comes down to it, I'm just a fleshy meat bag and my time here is finite. Yeah. I am a fleshy meat bag. (laughs) Put that on a t-shirt. Do a hand album. (laughs) (laughs) And that's totally dual hand because his job, he's, he, in some folklore, he is a collector of souls. He, he drives the wagon that goes to pick people up. Yeah. So dual hand hand. is relevant for today. (laughs) But speaking of Buddhism, we actually have a Buddhist tale that Jeff is going to tell. Yes. I and can't remember what it's called. Parable of the Mustard Seeds. Yeah. Which is funny because in Christian theology, there's another parable of a mustard seed. Yeah. But these are not related at all. No. Very different. Oh, and I do want to give a content warning. Obviously, it's going to be posted at the beginning of the episode, like on the description of the episode. But the content warning is going to be for this story uh, for a death of a child. Yes. Because this, this very... story is not funny. No, not as funny as the other one. I have to preload lots of jokes up front because it just gets real depressing. So, the parable of a mustard seed starts off pretty sad. Not so sad, but a rich dude wakes up to find that all of his gold has turned to ash. So tragedy right off the bat. And I'm I'm imagining like, you know, Jeff Bezos getting up, putting on his swimsuit and walking into the vault of his bank in the Cayman Islands or wherever. And he's about to, you know, take a jump off the diving board into his 
his pool full of gold and he just sees, oh my gosh, it's all turned to ash. So this guy, not Jeff Bezos, sees all of his gold and silver and all these precious things have turned into ash and he's like so upset, as I would be too if all my wealth suddenly was gone. Um, And he climbs into bed and he refuses any food, refuses any water. He's just so depressed, he doesn't know what he's going to do. And a friend gets worried and stops by to check on him and he's like, What's the man? What's the matter? He tells him all about the gold turning to ash. And he's like, look, man, you weren't making very good use of that gold anyway. What's the point of having gold and just hoarding it all up in a vault, you know? And so this friend, you know, like Elon Musk, presumably, ever the <laughs> entrepreneur, tells him, dude, why don't you take these ashes, take them to the bazaar, pile them up on rugs, and just start pr- pretending to trade with it. If my electric car company can sell an industrial propane torch as a flamethrower, surely you, Jeff Bezos, can start Amazon (laughs) Ash, you know? (laughs) So in the, you know, the tech world, Jeff Bezos does what's known as a pivot. Sorry, not Jeff Bezos, unnamed rich dude, does what's known as a pivot and does exactly what his friend had said. He goes to the bazaar, lays out these rugs and just piles this ash right on top of it. And people start walking by, his neighbors, people he knows, and they're like, oh my gosh, has this guy lost his mind? (laughs) So some people come after him, they're like, oh, dude, what are you doing selling all this ash? And the rich man's just like, these are my goods that I'm offering up for sale. Get off my back about it. If you you don't want them, then this product is not for you. (laughs) Just, but let let me tell you, ash is going to be big. You're going to be sad that you missed out on ash. (laughs) You're getting in on the ground level here. (laughs) And so the neighbors are like, okay, whatever. And they walk on. And then after some time of people thinking that he's a complete weirdo, this young woman named Kisa Gotami, which I'm like, she she gets a name. This rich dude didn't get a name. He wasn't she's important. Like, he's not he's not important to the story. We're taking a pivot with this tale as well. She comes along and she's like, dude, are you crazy? Why do you have this pile of like silver and gold bars just sitting out here for sale? And the rich man's like, uh, what now? Um. Uh, yeah. How about you hand me some of this silver and gold? So she's like, okay, right here. She picks up a handful of ash and as she holds it in her hand, it turns back into these bars of silver and gold. And so when this rich man sees this, he's like, oh my gosh, you know what? Looks like she's got like an eye for spiritual knowledge and she can see the true worth of things. So he's like, I got to get in on this. I'm going to give her to my son to marry. And so she does. And she says, he thinks in his mind, like, you know, to many gold is no better than ashes. But to Kisa Gotami, ashes become gold. And so the marriage happens. A few years go by. Kisa Gotami and the rich man's son have a child of their own, a son. And tragically, the son dies. And in her grief, she carried this child's body around to all of her neighbors. And she's asking them for medicine. And these people, again, are thinking that she's kind of lost all sense of reality because she's going around asking for medicine to cure someone that cannot be cured until finally someone says, look, I can't offer you medicine, but I know someone who can. It's Sakyamuni, the Buddha, which that's the first time I've ever heard Sakyamuni as uh, like a name or a title for, for Buddha. So I decided to say it. I looked it up and it means like, it's another name for him, Sage yeah. of the Shakyas. Anyway, so she goes, she's excited to have this thing. It's like, oh, Buddha, the Buddha can heal my son. So she goes to the Buddha and says, please give me the medicine that will cure my boy. And Buddha's like, I will. 
But in exchange, I'll want a handful of mustard seed. And so she gets so excited. She's like, oh, my boy's going to be healed. So she starts rejoicing. And he's like, but the mustard seeds must be taken from a house where no one has lost a child, spouse, parent, or friend. And she's like, okay, okay. She's still really excited. She goes out and she goes house to house asking for these seeds. And there are plenty of people that when they hear this, she's like, I need these seeds so I can get medicine for my child to bring it back. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. So they'll happily give over these seeds. But then when she asks if they've lost anyone, invariably, everyone has. And so they're like, oh, they said something that I thought was kind of cool. They're like, alas, the living are few, but the dead are many, which is like a really sad thing, but kind of like a really cool phrasing. And I'm pretty sure it's actually a Doolahan lyric. <laughs> anyway... So they say, please don't remind us of our grief. And she leaves empty handed because she can't use the mustard seeds of people who have lost someone. And so after doing this, like all day, it starts getting late. She goes to the edge of the city and she's sitting there watching the lights of the city flicker on. And then as it gets later, one by one, they start extinguishing, going out. And she stayed like this thinking for a long time, thinking about the fate of humanity until the very last light in the city burned out. And she realized that people's lives are like these lights. They flicker on and they burn for a while, but eventually they all go out. And in that moment, she realized that she was being selfish in her grief. And she thinks this kind of like lesson, death is common to all in this valley, but in this valley of desolation, there is a path that leads to immortality for those who have surrendered all selfishness. So, Having had this realization and putting away her, quote, selfish affection for her child, which I have a problem with and we'll get to later, mm -hmm. Kisugotami had her son's body buried in the forest. And then she returned to the Buddha and found comfort in the Dharma, which I looked up. And according to the Oxford English Dictionary, means the eternal and inherent nature of reality. So kind of like the teachings of the Buddha. And the Buddha goes on to teach a bunch of stuff. Like the last three paragraphs of this story are all just kind of teaching various things and there's a lot of it and I'm going to read kind of quite a bit of it just a warning up front but I have still kind of like picked out quotes yeah. that I thought were really interesting so he says the life of mortals in this world is troubled and brief and combined with pain for there's not any means by which those that have been born can avoid dying after reaching old age there is death of such a nature are living beings as ripe fruits are early in danger of falling, so mortals when born are always in danger of death. And as earthen vessels made by the potter end in being broken, so is the life of mortals. Both young and adults, both those who are fools and those who are wise, all fall into the power of death. All are subject to death. So the world is afflicted with death and decay. Therefore, the wise do not grieve, knowing the terms of the world. In whatever manner people think a thing will come to pass, it is often different when it happens. And great is the disappointment. See, such are the terms of the world. Not from weeping nor from grief will anyone obtain a peace of mind. On the contrary, his pain will be the greater and his body will suffer. He will make himself sick and pale, yet the dead are not saved by his lamentation. He who seeks peace should draw out the arrow of lamentation and complaint and grief. He who has drawn out the arrow and has become composed will obtain peace of mind. He who has overcome all sorrow will become free from sorrow and be blessed. Which, that's a lot, but there's a lot in there that I think is really good. And there's a lot of things kind of in the story and somewhat of those teachings that I feel a little differently about, I think. But overall, I thought this was a really interesting story about death and grief. So one of the people who... 
Actually, first, before we go any directed in any way, I want to go back to the word that you pointed out that you said you disagreed with. You yeah. said you disagreed with the word selfish. Yeah, selfish affection for her child. Yeah. So going back to that, that like one word, I do want to point out that since this is a translation, yeah, we don't know if that concept of what we understand as selfishness yeah, has the same like connotation. Has the as... same connotation or direct translation that we might be thinking of. Yeah. Because one of the things that, so when I was in school, we learned about Buddhism. I was in Thailand. So I mean. Like a Buddhist country. Yeah. Um, we had like this or a whole. a largely Buddhist country. Yeah. We had this whole course on Buddhism and finding out about the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And we had to, you know, kind of know this. And one concept that really stuck out to me that kind of encompasses all of this is this idea that like life Life is suffering, and this story mm-hmm. kind of shows that. And one of the things that causes most suffering is selfish desires or attachments. And yeah. selfish really more means like your your own personal attachments. And yeah. so it's if she put away her like personal attachment or her personal grief, yeah it helped her to release the suffering that she was feeling when she realized that she isn't the only person that grieves, that her grief can be communal. That's a good point. That's something I didn't really think of too. It's like going back to the point, why did he have her go and get these mustard seeds from people who had not experienced it to realize exactly what you're saying, that she's not the only one that experiences this. Everyone experiences this same thing. You don't have to be alone with it. Yeah. Yeah. And also talking about how, you know, in a way like selfish is in focus on herself. She's just thinking about what she's lost. She's not thinking about, I guess, her son's journey into, like we talked about before, the next yeah. part of his life. Like by holding on to him, you're not in a way kind of letting him pass on to the next place in his journey that he's supposed to be. Which there's a lot to it. I think the overall message of the story is really great because obviously she's going to an extreme as well of grief and the way that she is mourning by just holding on to this so much. And again, different people get to different stages differently as far as grieving goes. Yeah. So one of the places where I like found this story, it was a Westerner who had read this story and they didn't like it because they felt like the message was kind of that, like, since everybody has experienced loss, then that means that like your loss doesn't matter as much or like you shouldn't be grieving because everybody grieves. And since it happens to everybody, like you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And so they didn't like the story because they they felt like that was what the message was. Yeah. And I don't think that's what the message is. I don't think that's what the message is either. One thing that I think is so beautiful about this story is that it takes this woman who, and again, in Eastern cultures especially, they have a culture that believes very much in like the community. Yeah. And all being like one as a community. And what I think is so beautiful in the story is that she starts off when her child dies outside of her community and in conflict with her community because yeah. she's carrying this child with her, asking them for medicine. They're telling her no 
because yeah. they there is no medicine to f- bring a child back from the dead. Yeah. And so she felt like they're against her. They're not helping her. And they're like, we can't help you because there's no help for what you want. And so they send her yeah. to the Buddha, which is great. Because one thing I love about Buddha and Buddhist lessons is that they usually he usually doesn't give anybody a answer to the problem. He sends them on a journey to answer yeah. their question. That's or, something that I like too. Yeah. It's and like we, a riddle that you don't understand until you get it and then you can come back. And then he'll explain. Yeah. Because sometimes lessons are easier for us to understand when we think them ourselves. Yeah. Because you might hear somebody say something to you and be like, okay, I guess. And then you experience it and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. That is very there, true. I have experienced that a lot where it's like, maybe not even experiencing, but something happens, like the experiences that I have and the things that I've seen or whatever, all of a sudden something clicks and I look back on things that people have said and I've been like, how could I not have understood this? People were trying to tell me this for so long and I just didn't get it. It is really important to find it for yourself, which is something that I don't have as much exposure to like Buddhist stories, but I know there's lots of stuff like that where it's like they go out and then lots of things that have to do with nature and like the elements where they'll be sitting somewhere calm, thinking about, things and they'll see something in nature like the falling of a leaf or the burning and flickering of a flame the extinguishing of a flame and that elemental thing is what triggers in their brain the realization that you know whatever their problem has to be it's kind of like they find that by being in this kind of like calm place observing nature and thinking yeah and so in this story when she goes on this journey what the buddha tells her to do is to go back to that community yeah. and ask them for mustard seeds. Something that they can give. Yeah. And they do. They're like, we they're like, you if you need mustard seeds to help your child, we can give you mustard seeds. Yeah, like we can gladly give you these mustard seeds. And then when she's like, Have you ever felt grief? Is basically yeah. what she's asked them. Have you yeah. ever felt loss? Have you lost a child? Because I can only get these from people who haven't experienced this. And so now she's in dialogue with her community where yeah. they're saying to her, like, no, we understand. We have felt grief. It pains us too. Like, yeah. they're like, please don't remind us of our greatest grief because, like, we have also felt this. But yeah. they also are so willing to help her. And so I love yeah. that this story helps to lead her back to this. Yeah. Like community community. and that the grief then can make her feel more connected in the community. So I I don't. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I disagree with the person who was saying like, like this story is like it makes it seem like people's grief is not important or, you know, the the translation does say it makes her grief seem selfish when her grief isn't selfish. It's totally normal. It's just if if you remain in that state of grief where, cause I mean, she was going around trying to find medicine to stop that from happening. Like she was nowhere near that acceptance level. She was at yeah. bargaining and denial. Yeah. And it's like bringing in a, in a way that it affects other people Yeah, and herself. It's affecting yeah. her. Most of all, she's living in misery because she can't come to terms with this horrible thing that has happened. Yeah. And no one would blame her for that, but it is also like, she's not realizing how hard that is on her community around them who does want to help. And they feel even worse because they can't, and they can't even make her see that, that they can't. And what she's asking is not reasonable. So it is like, there's a really good message there. It's not saying that you can't grieve or that you shouldn't grieve. 
It's just no. it, when you understand the greater context of the fact that everyone does, you can reach out to community. People understand how it is that you're feeling, even if they don't know exactly. You know, like everyone has lost someone, so they have an inkling of how how you feel. Yeah. And going back to the part where it says she found comfort in the Dharma. So yeah. the Dharma is like kind of a, a term that just includes like broadly all the teachings of Buddha. But yeah. then specifically what I was thinking about was the four noble truths in Buddhism. And this is, this mm-hmm. is like very like basic baseline Buddhism for anybody who yeah. is like, I don't know if Katrina is an expert on Buddhism. Like you're right. (laughs) You know way more than I do because I know almost nothing. But the four noble truths basically are that like this is pain. Like life, life is pain. Or more specifically what she was feeling was like the death of my child is pain. I know the next one is I know the origin of my pain there is going to be a cessation of my pain. Like the pain can go away and stop. And then I can find the path that leads to the cessation of pain. Yeah. And so specifically when it's like the Dharma was like a balm to soothe her troubled heart. She like realized like I'm in pain because my child has died and that makes me feel pain. And there's no shame and like feeling that pain and that grief and that like heartache. So she named them like the origin of the pain and then she can find that the cessation of that pain is realizing that like one death is common to all. So like we've all experienced this. This is like a part of everything, but also that her son, like you said, he's moving on to that next stage of his immortality, whether that is moving into the next stage of like a reincarnation where he comes back as something else so he can get closer to nirvana but there are several things that can help her with that like cessation of pain and then she was willing to go to the buddha and actually be part of that healing process for herself yeah which i like that people dying is one of the reasons why we have like religions is to like figure out that grief and move through that grief because it's something where there's a lot of myths and religions that seek to answer a lot of questions that then were solved by science. But death is one of those that I just, I don't know if science is ever going to be able to tell us like what happens to like the soul of a person, like after they die, like, or like, that continuing on and people are going to continue to die. And that's like an important part of life. And it gives meaning to life knowing that there is a, an end point. Yeah. Because if there was no end point, it'd be like, what is, what's the purpose of like everything that we're doing? And so death gives like a purpose to life. And I think religion is there to help people through the pain of dealing with that reality. Yeah, totally. One thing that I also thought about this story that was kind of interesting is why did the story not just start with her losing her child? What was the whole point of the beginning of the story talking about the rich man? 
And I think there's like a couple of a couple of thoughts that came to me, and then you could tell me what you think about it. One, I think it was just pointing out like the selfish things of like the possessions that can distract us from the true meaning of life, like pursuit of wealth and things like that. Like those are things that we're often very selfish about that can blind us to being able to find like the true peace, worrying so much about our money, like his money going away. He had so much devotion to it that it ruined his life that he was like just depressed, lying in bed, not even want to eat or get up. And then the other thing that I think was interesting is that Part of it was to show that Kisa Gotami was, again, like different. She had a spiritual eye. She was like somewhat enlightened. She sees the true worth in things to establish the fact that she was not just like anyone else, but she even had a weakness. Like she she could see the true worth of things when it came to the physical world. But then when she had this challenge that dealt with more like, you know, death, you know, it was something that she needed to come to terms with, even though she had already kind of like been able to see so much again, like the words that it used in the translation were literally an eye for spiritual knowledge, but obviously she was lacking in some, otherwise she wouldn't have had to go to the Buddha and figure this whole thing out about death and grief and, and all that. So it starts us off in a place where she is already pretty good, but she still has room to go. So we all will have room to go. If someone that can see ashes as gold has these issues, then we're no better than she is kind of, I don't, that's kind of what I was thinking, but Yeah, because definitely like at the beginning of the story, what I kept thinking about when I with the man with his like pile of gold turning to ashes was about how useless and pointless money is when all you're doing is holding on to it and collecting it. Yeah, like money can be very powerful and money can be great in helping the world become a better place if you are willing to keep using it. And then I also think of like uh, every now and then there's this kind of like meme article of this guy who like buried a really nice car in the ground and people are like, oh, why would he bury this really nice car? And then he's like, well, anytime somebody gets buried with like their organs because they're not an organ donor, then they're wasting. It's the same Mm -hmm. as like burying a valuable car, like in the ground that you're putting all of this, like very valuable stuff. Maybe that's less of to do with what we're talking about. Well, on its own, it's like a good story, but I feel like I don't see the so much, the connection between the whole rest of it. Like on its own, I think, yeah, money is useless if you don't use it, but then you, you have that lesson and it's a segue into, okay, here's this other lesson about someone else. It's like two stories in one. Yeah. No, and they're just very tenuously related yeah. to one another. And I liked your interpretation of that. It's to show that this like young girl did have like a spiritual sight. Yeah. That like allowed her to see things for like what they are to see their value in them. So I do think for me, because the story, the way I found it, at least it, it's not situated within other tales yeah which was what my mind was like inclined to think was like oh maybe this is kind of a framed narrative but that's not what i've seen and so it is like why is there this beginning part of it and i do think that for me it does teach something about using things while we have them making the most of things while we have them whether that's our life or i know people who they had like fine china and they didn't want to use it until they had 
people over who would use it. But every time they had like people over, it was always like family for Thanksgiving, people who had kids. So they would always just use their basic China. So they had super nice, expensive China that they were waiting to use. And then there was an earthquake and it fell out of the cabinets and it all broke. Having never been used. And it had never been used. And they didn't realize until that moment that they were like, why was I holding onto that? I was holding onto it because I was worried that it would break. And now it's broken. Yeah. And I never got to use it. Like, what was the point of yeah. like doing that? And I, I see that with this story, too, with like, this man has all this gold. And he didn't really, he wasn't using it for anything. He was just piling it up. So it was as useful as ashes. Yeah. And I think sometimes we treat our life like that too. Yeah. Where we're, That's what you were just making me think too. Going yeah. back to what we just talked about with the other stories, then this is tied in. Your life is usually useless if you don't spend it doing things of value. Yeah. And as far as like, it's, it's just as useless to sit in grief forever as it is to hold on to gold. If you're not going to like use your life, for something. I, I guess it's, that's kind of different, but I'm just saying like, it, no, it's just yeah. to put the value on life. Yeah. While you have your life, use it for something. Live it, don't just, yeah. yeah. Don't just squander it with in grief or whatever. And focusing on those things, like do something with it. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah. Because it is, there's like so many things where we're kind of like, Oh, I am going to, I mean, whether it's like money, like, Oh, I'm going to save up and hoard this and then someday use it. But we, yeah. we do that with like our time too, or with our relationships with people where we're like, oh, when I have time for you, I will give you that time. Yeah. But it's like, why are you saving up and storing up these things when every day you should be using like what you have, especially yeah. if it's a resource that you're not going to run out of, like the friendships, you know, like, yeah, because if they do turn to ashes, then you didn't enjoy them. Yes. I've heard too, something that is like a real perspective shift. Time management is a big weakness of mine. And so it's like a real sore spot, but with money, it is something that you can hoard for later and then like spend it on something. You shouldn't, you should like, we we talked about this already, which is kind of funny that it's coming up again. Maybe because I read this story. That's why I was thinking of it in the first place. But, (laughs) but the difference between money and time is that, you are spending one second of your time every second that goes by. Like in my bank account, every day, a hundred bucks doesn't come out just because a day has passed. But in my life, a day is gone that I will never get back. Like if you're not spending it on something productive, it's like burning money, turning it to ash. Oh my gosh, this story is brilliant. I'm suddenly getting it. I'm finding it out for myself. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. You're like, Buddhism, it works. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm about to convert here. But yeah, it's like <laughs> your your life is burning by whether you use it or not. So use it even more than money. That's so applicable to your life. Man, I'm glad you asked the question, what was this first half so that we could discuss it out and like pull the truth out of it. And it's interesting because it's like now we're getting so meta with this narrative because that first part was my mustard seeds. I didn't understand the importance of the mustard seeds until I went there and brought it up and had to think about it and compare it to life. Yeah. And now you're like, Oh, I feel enlightened slightly. <laughs> the Buddha made me go collect mustard seed. <laughs> yeah. With this story. Yeah. Crazy. So I think for me, the reason why these stories of grief and death are so good 
is just because they are so applicable. To me, stories of like princesses who are beautiful, who go after a man and then get the man at the end. Like, yeah, I mean, they might be fun. And You've make, already got your Prince Charming, too. Like, I do. I do already have my Prince Charming, so I don't really need <laughs> stories <laughs> that are, like, to, you know, uh, entertain me about that. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I've got my Happily Ever After. Um, so, like, they they don't offer me, like, a whole lot. But, and I, I mean, I enjoy stories of horror, like, in yeah. Bluebeard. But I guess for me, like, right now in my life, as... I'm trying to realize, you know, like my own mortality, what I want to do with the time that I have been given. And as I want to learn how to grieve, these stories have so much to offer me. They have so much to to teach me about the sweetness and the importance of death, along with the kind of bitter reality. I agree 100%. I think Again, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. We talked about it before in this episode about like coming to terms with my mortality, coming to terms with the fact that people that I love dearly are going to die someday and it's getting sooner than later in a lot in many cases. And a thing that I've been struggling with too with just like time, like I've spent 30 years of my life, how much more life do I have? I've been at this real interesting point where I'm trying to think of like, what can I do? I feel like I've wasted so much of this time up until this point that I don't want to do that the next 30 years that I have in front of me. So I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think these stories are coming to me at the perfect time in my life. I think five, 10 years ago, I would have been entertained by especially that first story, but it wouldn't have like hit me in a profound way like it has today. So if you're hearing these and you're not getting much out of it, just wait until you hit 30 <laughs> years old and then give this episode another listen because it'll hit you like a ton of bricks, buddy. But I mean, it has been really useful. And I'm like, man, I want to see more stories of these. Again, like I've enjoyed all the things we've talked about in this podcast. But like I said, you know, more so than even The King Who Rides a Tiger, I feel like this has enriched my life in a deep and meaningful way beyond just entertainment. And I'm like, I want to seek out more stories that make me feel this way and help me come to terms with the things that I'm kind of like struggling with or working through in my life right now. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. I've seen a chicken slaughtered before. So a really weird thing to just suddenly like, <laughs> come out. I've seen many chickens slaughtered before.